Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. Uh, this is your first time here at Hill City. My name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team and uh, grateful you are spending a portion of your Sunday here <coughs> with us. Um, hopefully, I'll make it through. Uh, I got a little, woke up this morning with a little sore throat. And so, assuming I don't hit this tea over, we'll be okay. Um, but uh, just grateful that you are here. We're in the second week of our uh, series called Embody, and last week when we kicked it off, um, we talked about this reality of how um, our humanity is such a big deal, and I think so often we neglect to fully appreciate it. And so, like, even this morning in this room, look at all the humans around you right now. Like, it is, like, it's incredible. And, and I'll, you know, I was sharing this last week, but it, it's unbelievable just to think that, man, we are sitting with people uh, that all different ages and backgrounds and stories and ethnicities and, and different uh, places in the world and different kinds of jobs and, uh, you know, different journeys with, with, with God and faith. And, and, and you're in the room together. You're singing together. You're, uh, you're greeting one another. You're looking at one another. And, and then as you see someone that's sitting behind you or beside you or whatever, like they were, like the, God created them with their DNA and all their cells and and, and you know it's crazy. Like you guys are exchanging microbes just by sitting next. To, I know that's weird, but like it's like like even like sitting next to the person. Like you have microbes. It's like it's it's incredible. Like it's just unbelievable to think like our humanity. Like it's it's so wonderful, and so many conversations that we have, or so many things that we see in the world around us, uh, is so dehumanizing. Uh, the way we talk about one another, the way we look at one another, uh, uh, the way we treat one another, it, it's dehumanizing. And, you know, so often the conversations revolve around, oh, that's just sin or that's just whatever. And it's like, well, man, I wonder if we just took a breath for a second and appreciated the reality of our humanity, how many things would start to change. The fact that God created you, gave you breath in your lungs this morning to get up to brave the cold air, to walk in and, and, and say, man, it's unbelievable that my humanity like so deeply matters. And last week when we were talking about some different elements of our, our humanity, we, we uh, had you guys do uh, a word cloud and you guys typed in words and it was so fascinating because in both services, um, the top three things that came up in both services were love, connection, and nature in terms of what made you feel most alive. Uh, it's as if God designed us that way. Uh, you know, and that wasn't planned or anything, but that is what we saw that came out. It was like, man, love, connection, and nature are the things that make us feel uh, the most alive. And you know why that is? It's because you were and I were designed that way and to experience our humanity in uh, that way. And, and the four things that we said, what it means to be human is to be a bridge between heaven and earth. Uh, you know, it's spiritual, it's moral, to, to rule and govern, meaning to be fruitful, to live in harmony with creation and others, and then that there's a relational risk that happens in our humanity um, that we begin to embrace. And then I gave you this definition of embody, which means this, to be an expression of or give a tangible or visible form to an idea, quality, or feeling. That's what embody means. And so, um, and then one of the other phrases that you'll hear all throughout this series and because it's so important is simply this, that we embody whatever we worship. And so uh, this week, this past week, the way you lived your life, the way you spent your time, uh, the way you talked, uh, the way you spent your money, uh, it embodied something. You became a tangible expression of something. It became a tangible expression of whatever was gripping your heart. 
Whatever made you feel like, oh, this is what my life is really about. Like, that's what transpired this week. You embodied something in your humanity. You reflected what you thought it meant to be human. And I don't think we think about that enough. I think we just roll through life sometimes and roll through our days and our weeks. And can you imagine if uh, in the morning we prayed, God, may I embody who you are. May my, my humanity, may I embody the reality and the truth of who Jesus is. And can you imagine if you closed your day by uh, praying every single day, God, uh, forgive me for the way that I didn't embody who you were. Um, I was a jerk to that cashier. I was miserable to an employee. I uh, lied to someone. Or I, but, but God, would you forgive me for not embodying um, who I say that you are and, and being a tangible expression of, of what Jesus taught? My guess would be we would become more acutely aware of what it means to be human and the fullness of our humanity and become so important. When I, we were picking songs this week, and because um, today I want to talk about desire, and in uh, in one of the verses that is so important when we think about desire, and it's this verse that has actually stuck with me for so long. When I whenever I do a funeral, I usually put this verse in there at some point in time because um, how many guys have ever been to a funeral? Yeah, whether you like the person or not, it doesn't feel right. It just doesn't. No matter how old or young they are, it doesn't feel right. Someone could be 100 years old and lived a great life, and um, you loved them. Uh, and you're like, ah, they were 100. They did it. Right? Like, if you get to 100, you're like, man, that's pretty cool. And I've always thought, I'm going to make it to 100. And I don't know why, but it's just more probably a competitive thing. I, Lacey, I don't, I don't know what Lacey's going to do. But, like, um, but... But we, you know, it's like, man, I'm going to be, uh, if I'm 100, I'm like, man, I live my life. But no matter how long you live and how expected you think death was, it still doesn't feel right. It's like, it's like man, it just doesn't make sense. And there's something that is missing. And there's, there's this verse in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that says this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. We'll actually talk about that next week. But he has also set what? What does that say? Louder. In the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning into the end. And I used to like look at that verse, and, and the reason why I would use it in, in funerals is because, oh, like this idea of eternity, it's why death doesn't feel right, because we're supposed to be alive. There's supposed to be something in us that's at work. But the more I look at that verse and study that verse, it, it's, there's more to it than just that. That there's this depth to our desire that is wired inside of every single person. So even some of the most evil people in the world that have ever existed, they do some good things sometimes. The people around them um, saw something in them like, yeah, they, they, were, they were pretty bad. Uh, but man, you, you wouldn't have known the way that they treated their son. And, and you, you yourself, like you might have been around some people that you're like, man, this person that I didn't, like they didn't know Jesus, but they were the best Christian I ever knew. The way that they lived their life. And you might be around people like that and, and you see that and like, what, what is that? What that is, is the way God designed every single human being ever is that there's this connection to the eternal in our hearts. And so we, we want there to be good we, we want there to, to, to be connected to something deeper, as we just sang. 
It's bring us, like, draw us in closer to something. It, it's hardwired inside of us. And so these desires that we have in our hearts is what we have to start like, paying attention to. Are these desires, um, things that are just temporary, are these desires uh, really like tapping into the eternal and, and what it means to, to understand the desires of our hearts? And so that becomes critical in understanding our humanity and what it means, like how we're going to embody uh, our lives. And so um, I'm going to go back to the creation story. We were in Genesis chapter 1 uh, last week. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 2 uh, this week. And for those of you who have never read uh, the creation stories in the Bible, um, Genesis chapter 1 gives kind of one version. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 is written a little bit differently. The order is a little bit different. And uh, what it's focused is a little bit different. Because again, the creation story, it's not about whether or not it's a literal thing. It's really about talking about who God is in creation. Who God is in uh, and what he embodies. Uh, how God interacts with humanity and what this means. We get a glimpse of the human framework and, and why it's so important. And so in Genesis chapter 2, um, you're going to see just a little bit different slant on the creation story. And so we're going to go there now. In Genesis chapter 2, it says this. Uh, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And even right there, it's supposed to be this idea of there was a body... That was there. And what God did was he breathed the breath of life into it. And it became an alive being. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted in the garden, uh, had planted a garden in the east, uh, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees uh, to grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of what? Of and evil, right? And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a what? Helper, suitable uh, for him. We'll talk about that word, helper. Uh, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, I want you to remember that, and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called them, each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild uh, animals. So Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then close up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made what? From the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Now let me pause here for a second because you guys might be thinking, he did what? <laughs> and so, because uh, it seems like a pretty bizarre story. And uh, so let me talk about a couple of things that happened in this story. So you see uh, the way the Bible begins to describe it is it is a man, Adam, in, in deep communion with God. He has uh, abundant options to live, uh, he to experience the creation around him. Uh, he's got some rules that are in place, some boundaries that are in place, but he's got pretty, every, pretty much everything at his disposal. And, and what God has done is kind of puts in front of him is this idea of like, all right, go find yourself a helper. And so uh, here are all these animals and all these birds. And so he goes to a bird and he's like, that's not going to work. And then he goes to a lion. Let's say he's, I'll call you lion. Will you be my helper? And the lion's like, 
no, I don't know. That doesn't work. And whatever the lion says. And, and he looks into the sea and he's like, well, I don't know if a whale will work. And so this doesn't, this doesn't work. Like the, to be my helper, it, it doesn't work. To go into this life, um, it doesn't work. And so the story is uh, that he has gone through all these animals and, and he's trying, but it just didn't work. Um, that, that, that an animal was not, uh, uh, it couldn't replicate the reality of humanity. An animal is a good uh, pet or a good thing to have or whatever, but it's not human. It's not human, and, and, and there's going to be a missing connection within that. It doesn't mean you can't have a, a relationship or care or whatever. It's just there's, there's something a little bit more that's there with a human. And so we see that right off the top. Well, the other part that we see is uh, this whole rib thing. Now, the word rib uh, didn't actually mean rib at that point in time when the Bible was written. All right, what it was actually was, a, it was an architectural term. So anywhere else in the Bible um, that you see that same kind of word uh, for, that's now known as rib, it actually was talking about like the side of something. So here's what's kind of crazy about this part of the story. It's almost as if what the writer is doing is saying that what God did was he sawed the body in half and uh, made one part man and one part woman. And, and so just like you would an architectural thing where you have like a side that comes into a side and it completes it, it makes the wall whole, um, that's what he's saying there. And so, uh, so it's not about like, come out, he like came out of the rib, you know, it's like, oh man, it's crazy. Like you came out of my rib, woman. And so it's, but what it, but, but what it is, is, is it's describing, it's describing that in the context of our, our uh, like lived expression of being human, Men and women need to be together. Not necessarily only in marriage, but even in friendships, in community. It's like we need one another. Um, if you just had a group of all men, it wouldn't work, right? It just, it wouldn't work. If it had all women, it wouldn't work. It might be good for a minute, but at some point, you're going to be like, it'd be nice to have someone else around, right? It'd be nice to have a different perspective. It'd be nice. And so you start saying, oh, we, so what God has done, he's like, oh, we, we need one another. And so the sex differential thing, like, like, matters. Like, you can't, if it was just men, would there be more babies? I feel like you should know that answer really quick, right? <laughs> if it were just women, would there be more babies? No. And so the way God made this to be is like, oh, this, this matters. In order for humanity to continue on, it's got to work this way. And, uh, and so it's like, but in order for like community to be complete, it's like we need these two sides to, to come together. In, its in the original way it's supposed to be, it's like this is the way it worked. And so we see this with man and woman. And, and so this, this matters. It says, oh, this woman is, is the helper. Now, if there's not, when the word helper is, is not... Um, a subservient word. It's very important. Because like, if you're like, oh, you're my helper, you can kind of think it's like, uh, I'm the leader, you're the helper. That word helper does not mean that there. The only other place that word is actually used is just a few other times in the entire Bible. And uh, it's, it's either used for warrior or it's used to describe God. So all of a sudden, when we're like, hmm, the man... You're, the, you're, the, you're up here, and the woman, you're just helping me along. It's like, that's not actually what the Bible says. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, when sin comes into the world, um, it creates this hierarchy and, and all these different things. And so you have to ask yourself, do I want to be a Genesis 3 kind of Christian? 
or Genesis 1 and 2 on how God actually created things. And so uh, we start seeing this in this manner of like, what, 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 this helper is not about, it's like, no, it's like, this is what makes it complete. Even in the, if you think about it this way, even in the creation story, as things move along in the story, God keeps saying good and good and good and then very good. So as it kind of just chronologically, it means like the creation's always getting better along the way. Well, women were the last thing to get created. And so even like just kind of like intrinsically thinking about it, it's like if you want to play this out, it's like we've, we've, we've done this wrong for a long time on how we kind of talk about women in the creative order. And so, uh, but it's not the way God, it's like, all right, you guys got to be complete and together. And that's what begins to matter. We appreciate the nuance of one another, what it means to be human. We don't dehumanize one another. That's the way God originally had it planned. And so we see in the story, we see all this stuff happening. And then in uh, verse 21, or I'm sorry, in verse 25, it says this. Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no what? Mm. So there's something beautiful what has transpired in this creative story about our humanity. This desire to be uh, in the garden. What the Bible is trying to get us to understand right off the top is is even when Jesus teaches later on, Jesus is trying to get people to understand the fullness of who he is and what it means to follow him. But what Jesus' teachings are, are always pointing back to him as the centerpiece. And he, when Jesus is the centerpiece of your life, you're bringing yourself back to the garden and the way it was supposed to be. There's so much, even when Jesus is teaching and in his life and in his death and up on the cross, and I told you guys this before, um, you know, he's got, um, he's hanging on the cross and he's got two people on each side, two criminals, and one of them's mocking him and the other one's uh, like kind of been like, I don't know, man, this, this, there's something about this dude. And, and, uh, and, and he cries out to Jesus and Jesus turns to the guy and he says, today you will be with me in what? Do you guys remember? Paradise. And paradise is the same word for garden. So it's like, oh, today you'll be back with me in the garden. And Jesus' intent is to always just bring us back to what it was supposed to be like for our fullness of our humanity, to begin to experience what it means to be fully human, to embody that. And that's what we start getting uh, pushed towards. Here's what's interesting about um, these desires that we have, what it means to be fully human. This is incredibly critical. Our desires are both nature and nurtured. Nature and nurtured. So uh, when I brought up the fact that uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11 talks about the desires that, um, of eternity being wired into our hearts, that is, that is a nature of all humanity. It's just in us. Uh, it's, just, it's there. Uh, so uh, there's some things that are, are natured inside of us. And then there's, there's nurtured elements. Have you ever thought about this, like how little control you have of your existence? Um, how many of you guys made yourself exist in this world? Like none of us, right? It's like, process that for just a second. We think we're a pretty big deal. Um, you did nothing to make yourself exist. And so uh, we see this, and we're like, uh, then the first part of your entire life is nurtured. So everyone in here has had parents. You, ha- you, you had to have them. Whether they were good or not is a whole other scenario. Um, and whether you thought they were perfect or... How many of you guys had flawed parents? Every one of us, right? 
Max and Nevaeh, do not raise your hands. I see you guys are over there. But um, we all have flawed parents that, that make mistakes and, and they're doing the best they, were, they can or, or whatever. Um, but we see like your, listen, your, your life chapter or your life novel has so many chapters to it. But the first part of your book is actually written by somebody else. Like you are nurtured into this narrative of what love looks like, what marriage looks like, uh, what um, and that actually impacts your sexuality and like how you view sex, all these different things. Um, what it looks like to, what friendship looks like and fun looks like and laughter looks like. What really matters, like it's all written by other people in your life. Like your parents were just like narrating this they, and, and they were putting it there in front of you. This is why when people are like, ooh, I can't wait to have kids. I'm like, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And so um, like uh, research will say that about 80% of your worldview is shaped by the age of seven or eight years old. And so we, we start seeing that. And again, the last 20% can reshape a lot of the early 80% and get all that stuff. But, but here's the thing. It's like, man, that's why when, uh, if, I mean, I don't want to ask this, but if you've ever been to a counselor or therapist, uh, like part of what they will ask you about is your childhood. Because as adults, you're pulling from that narrative that was nurtured into you and it becomes such a big deal. How some of us in this room see God as father is shaped by our earthly father. And it gets put on him because of when you were a child. It was nurtured into you. And it shapes different things. And so the desires of your heart start getting shaped and how you see the world, it's, it starts shaping. And it's like a, such a big deal. This is like part of your humanity. So um, this is why when you, we begin to see uh, what it means to keep getting healthier emotionally and, and mentally and spiritually and everything, it's, it's important to just have an understanding of your childhood. I'm not saying get fixated on it and every time like you have like a weird thought, you're like, oh, it's because of my dad. It's because of my dad. You know, it's like sometimes you got to get over stuff, you know. And so, um, but you begin to, to start seeing, oh, some of this did shape you. It got nurtured inside of you. And understand like it shapes your desires. If you had uh, like a, a father or a mother um, and that worked all the time, and just incessantly worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. That was shaped into you. That work was the most important thing. And you can live that out yourself. Um, if you uh, grew up in a single family home, it, 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 uh, it impacts your single parent home. It impacts you. The ideal, we, and we, listen, we, all of research shows this, that the ideal is for a child to grow up with a, a mom and dad and a healthy marriage. Like you can't get around that. And I get it, life happens and all those other things and, and we do the best we can. But we see that there's supposed to be and it's nurtured into us. What we see, and it's critical to understand that stuff because it begins to shape our desire and, and understand our humanity. One of the other things that becomes so critical in our desires is to pay attention to life transitions. Um, I believe like one of the hardest life transitions you have is when you go to college and you leave college and you become adult. Um, college is the sweetest time ever. Uh, when you're in college, um, you, you're not as busy as you think you are. 
And uh, like, I love college students. Like, I, I would still do college ministry today. But when we were doing college ministry, they'd be like, I'm so busy. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Um, you, get a, you get a lot of time off and a lot of breaks. And uh, anyway, uh, and so, but when you get out of college and you go to your first job and you're like, I don't like working with that 52-year-old. I don't, like, and you know, it's like so different. Like your whole world gets rocked. It's a huge life transition. Um, but neurologically, we're so, like when you're in college, for example, like you're in community. And we're always better in community. Like even neurologically, we our brains fire. Like we're always better in community. Well, when you graduate college, like everything can like leave so quickly and it becomes hard to have community. And so uh, those life transitions matter. When someone moves, um, some of you guys who like moved to Richmond and, uh, and I've met you and you kind of, you know, you came to check out the church and because you knew it's like, I need to find a church because there's going to be people there. And, and, and what you're actually saying is my brain is telling me I need community because that's what it means to be human. And so uh, when people move, uh, one of the first things I tell them is like, go find a church because you, you, you need, to, like, you need to, to be with people. It matters so much. Um, because if you don't, you're just kind of flounder, and then eventually you're going to be like, well, I found this ultimate Frisbee team, and it's great. Like, it's great. It could be a good thing, but, but it's not going to feed, like, the depth of your humanity. And so we're, supposed, we're wired for a community that's part of, like, the desires of our heart of what it means to actually be human. So pay attention to big life transitions, because it's going to really shape your desires, so when you have kids, when you, uh, um, when you get married, or when there's a divorce, or when you move, or when you go from high school to college, or college to, um, uh, to adulthood, to changing jobs, like all those things are life transitions that, are, that sometimes people don't pay attention to enough while understanding, oh, it's nurturing a desire inside of us in some kind of way. There's something being shaped in our uh, desires. Well, the story, as we begin to see, in Genesis chapter 3, uh, it says this. So the story continues on. And it doesn't just sit there. Like, things get a little bit broken. It says, now, uh, the serpent was more crafty than all of the wild animals. So if you remember Genesis chapter 2, it said that, that Adam had interactions with all of the animals, including all the wild animals. And so he named the serpent as well. And so we see this part of, like, oh, Adam has had... It's describing the serpent as one of the wild animals that Adam had already had an interaction with of some kind. And so he says, the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? This phrase here, did God really say, is so critical to understanding our desires, um, what we're tempted by, what gets nurtured inside of us. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. He says this, you will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, from your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing God and evil. Isn't that interesting? Uh, God had already said they were made in the image of God. They already embodied who he was. And here's a serpent telling them, now you'll be like God. But God had already said you already image him. So you see what he's doing? He's trying to like, confuse uh, uh, their desires of what they desired to be as a human. 
trying to center them as, as humans. Like now you could be God because now you know everything just like God does. He's trying to go across the boundaries. And so here's what we start seeing in the story. If you guys remember, it says that uh, there was this, this garden that was, was put in here. And in the garden, it says that there were all these trees, right? There were all these trees. And then in the middle of the garden, there were bigger trees, right? And these bigger trees, one was called the tree of what? And the other one was the tree of knowledge of? All right, so, so those, those two trees are in the middle. And it says that what Eve is doing, where's Eve? Right? Um, she is naked, but I don't want to draw anything more than that. But like she, uh, uh, the, so Eve is there, and uh, she is having this conversation, you know, with the serpent. You know, the serpent over here. And um, could look like a duck. Um, but, uh, but the serpent... Um, is, is, is here, and uh, they're having this conversation. Are they having the conversation at the tree of, of, of knowledge of good and evil? No. They're, they're having this conversation outside of all of it. And that becomes an important understanding of how desires work and how we're nurtured into things. And I want to highlight just a few things about our humanity and, and part of this, because what ends up happening is they have this conversation and then what transpires is uh, uh, Eve goes and grabs Adam, and then they go, they come across to the trees. And so here's why this becomes important. I want you to highlight these four things. The first thing is so important to understand that they weren't at the tree, because the foundation for regret is laid before the moment of the decision. So uh, Eve and Adam, they, they regret their decision and what they did when they ate the fruit. How many of you guys uh, had a, a desire in your heart that you ended up regretting later? It's okay. Uh, your regret wasn't because of, that, that decision didn't happen in that moment. You had already laid the foundation for that decision, what would in, inevitably be, be that regret, long before that. Way before it. You didn't just... Uh, make the decision. <clears throat> Things were nurtured into you before that. Some may be on your own doing, some on someone else did. Uh, so uh, sometimes I'm, I'm with, um, I do premarital counseling, and we talk about sex before marriage, and, and uh, you know, in the class, like sometimes there are people that are living together and having sex, sometimes they're, they're not. Um, but one of the things I, I tell them is at the end of the day, uh, you know, when you are having uh, sex prior to marriage, it, it's not about just this rule or boundary that's set in place uh, to try and, like, make you uh, feel like you're missing out on something or that it's worse or, or whatever. Why that idea is actually there is because um, when you have sex with someone uh, prior to this covenant of marriage, like, what, what sex is supposed to be uh, in the context of marriage, is uh, a renewing of the vows that you made and the promises you made on your wedding day. Uh, and so, uh, listen, I'm not saying, like, every time a married couple has sex, they're like, hey, let's repeat our vows first, and <laughs> then we can just get after it. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but ideally what you're saying in the, in the context of, of marriage is, I mean, the covenant that was made and what this union of sex does is, is go along with that covenant that's in marriage. 
And so it adds a layer to, to why sex is, is not just this physical act. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it's way more than that. Um, it's fascinating because we, we make this, um, these decisions around sex um, around an, an orgasm because it feels good. And, and so you make the physical act, and what it actually shows is uh, either a desire or a need because you're lonely and have to feel connected or, uh, you know, you, you, uh, or have a lack of self-control. And so what we'll talk about in the, in the class is if the act of having sex before marriage, I'm not saying you don't love one another. I'm not saying you won't have a redemptive, happy marriage or, or anything like that. But what I am saying is, is if the act is uh, based off of lack of self-control, I get it, there's attraction and all those things, but if, if it's lack of self-control, if you've set that there before your marriage, when you get in the marriage, you've already laid the foundation for a lack of self-control, so guess what's going to happen inside your marriage later on? A lack of self-control. It might manifest itself sometimes physically, but it might be with your money, or it might be with your time. Or whatever it will be. But it's like you already laid the foundation for lack of self-control before that. And so it's like an understanding of these decisions that we make, this, the desires of our heart. Is it tapping into eternity? The eternal nature of what, what God has placed inside of us? Or is there something else there? Um, the second thing there, disordered desire happens when we have a scarcity mindset. Um, so when you begin to look at people around you, uh, do you see them as generous or not? So if you don't see people as generous around you, like if I, if I were to like, if I was like, all right, look at the person next to you, do you think they're generous? If you think they're generous, guess how you'll respond living with generosity. If you think all they want to do is consume and take, then you're not going to be generous towards them. And so it really starts seeing like, man, do I have a scarcity mindset or do I believe I could be back in the garden where God provides in a land of uh, abundance? Think about it this way. How about this question? How many people did you look at in a self-serving way this week? We had a, a not great uh, hostess or, or, or waiter uh, yesterday um, uh, for dinner. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say it. If you're here, sorry. Uh, the, the, I heard someone went to dinner last night, and they had not a great experience. But this morning I was thinking about, in my own brain, uh, like during that moment, I was like, it was a self-serving thing that I was thinking about her not being that great at her job. So you're supposed to serve me well. What a privileged thing to say. Like, I don't know her story. Maybe she was new, or maybe she had a rough day, or whatever. And I was like, what a... I, someone's bringing me food. Like, that is an incredibly privileged thing. And so, uh, but just to think that, like, where my brain was like, mm, let me think about the tip here for a second. And let me, you know, it's, it's like so self-serving. And, and I was thinking about it this morning, like, I dehumanized her in my brain. And it's reality. Third thing there, uh, wisdom respects boundaries. Um, you guys know this. You think about some of your regrets and your desires and your decisions. You, if you had wisdom, if you had wisdom, you wouldn't, it's like, oh, I wouldn't have done that. 
And so even in the garden, in the story, there are these boundaries there for freedom. There are these boundaries there that set apart um, for, like, to fullness of humanity. The last one there, um, there's a battle for our true self that starts with our mind. Uh, when uh, we get tempted by thing, by the wrong kind of desires, it's us like, do you really say? Does it really that big of a deal? Does it really matter? And, and it's, it's in our minds. And we start like outthinking ourselves. How many guys have, have been deceived? Like in your regret, you were deceived, right? So everyone has regrets. And in that moment, you were deceived into thinking that it was a good decision. Um, whenever we're in a place where we're deceived, we are delusional. So in spite of everything that's in front of us, uh, the healthy way to go, the, the right habit, the whatever, we're delusional because we're deceived because we convinced ourselves, did it really say? And so our desires become uh, so different. And, it, and then there's this battle in our mind between our, our, our true self and our false self. Our, our true self and our false self. You see, um, <laughs> in, in Genesis chapter 3, 12, the what Adam, how Adam responds. He says this, the woman you put here with me, she gave some, f- some fruit from the tree and I ate it. He's delusional. He heard the word from God too. But he's acting like he didn't. So in who does he blame? Someone else and God. It's delusional. So that's what happens between this battle with the true self and our false self. So here's just a quick list. To kind of close this out. Here's some things with a false self that transpire. We have shame. Uh, we believe lies about ourselves. We have no limits, meaning boundaries aren't a thing. We, lack a, we have a lack of a sense of beauty around us. I'll talk more about this uh, next week, but even this idea of beauty, it's like uh, Lacey has done such a wonderful job of cultivating uh, beauty for, for me to see. I don't mean just in her. I mean, like, even she'll, she'll be like, did you see the sunset today? And, and I'll be like, no. And, and it's almost like a, it's, it's there. Like, just go up and see it. Like, it's, and so it's like, man, a lack of sense of beauty is like pulling into your false self. Uh, scarcity mindset. You have mixed motives. Sometimes you are in the right space. Sometimes you're not. And so you see that a lot in your life. Uh, you're envious. You're egocentric, meaning you're at the center, and then you're isolated. You don't have a good community around you. Um, we actually see this in part of the Genesis story uh, in, in verse 9 and 10. When, when God comes and he says to, to Adam, he's like, where are you? Which is another way of just saying, what are you doing? What are you desiring? It's like, where are you? I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. So your false self will make you hide in some capacity. Um, So what does your true self look like? You're vulnerable. You're fruitful. You're content. You have a sense of joy. You have boundaries in your life, and you know what they are. You're communal in the way you live. You have gracious interactions with people. You're generous. You have a growth mindset. You have a centered motive, meaning Jesus is the center and then there's this healing that comes out of you, and you begin to experience. Uh, the New Testament actually talks a lot about this. And Jesus, like the term uh, born again, it, that term born again um, so often is, is phrased as 
Uh, you just got saved. It's not really what it's about. It's like, no, you're, you're living into the fullness of who you're designed to be in your humanity. You're, you're, you're a new creation. You're back to the garden of where you should be in communion with God. You know, um, one of my favorite movies is from 1995. That's called The Usual Suspects. And um, there's this line in the movie that says this, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And I love that line because uh, so many of the things that we go through with our desires, it's like the devil's just like, did he say that? 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 And we're convinced, we're convinced or we convince ourselves in this deception and our desires get nurtured into this weird place and we no longer live the fullness of our humanity. But it's all this like little stuff. And one of the things I wrote down this week is that the distortion of our desires comes with little decisions, distractions, and influences every day. That's what happens. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and he's teaching and he's doing all these things, he's trying to pull us back to the fullness of our humanity. And that John 10.10 verse that we talked about last week, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. He's, he's trying to get us to understand the fullness of your humanity is found through him. The reordering of your desires are found through Jesus. You become nurtured back into the way that we uh, should be. So I want to end with this. Just three questions, and I'm just going to pray. You guys will get out of here. I want to end with these three questions to just ponder here for a minute. If you audited your time, what is discipling or training or nurturing you? So you kind of think, man, if I were to go through my time during the week, like, what is it? Something is always influencing and shaping and nurturing us. What is it? You got to be honest with it. Second question there, what occupies your thoughts the most? What occupies your thoughts the most? What's occupying your brain the most will shape and nurture your desires that you have within you. And then the third thing there, is there a place in your life where you are hiding? Is there an area of your life where uh, you know you're hiding? You're not your fullest self. You're not... um, you, you give someone a little bit, but not everything. Um, in order to fully be our true selves, we need a couple of people in our life that we can be very vulnerable with. I'm not telling you, listen, you don't have to be fully vulnerable with every person around you. Right? There's wisdom in that. But you do need some people. And so do you have those people or are you just constantly hiding? Um, that means you're living in your false self and you have disordered desire in your life. You guys bow your heads. So God, this morning, these questions are a really big deal because In order for us to be fully human, it's not about having meeting New Year's goals. In order for us to fully be human, we have to tap into the very desires we have in our heart, what's like the underlying things that are transpiring inside of us. And every person, I don't care if you're 
or a middle school student, a high school student, a college student, a grown adult, whatever. Every person has to really deal with the desire that they have in their heart. Like, what is it? And know what it is. And understanding that that's what we will embody. So I've got to pray that um, part of our journey will, will really be dealing with this and understanding it at um, a level that begin to transform. And we begin to see we'll never live our lives perfectly. We'll never uh, embody uh, <laughs> what you desire for us perfectly. But what we can do is keep moving in the right direction. It starts with a decision to follow you. And it continues with waking up every day saying, I want to embody who you are, what you taught. And allowing us to have to be communal and, and vulnerable and, and live into the fullness of our humanity. That's when things start to change. That's when the world around us starts to change. That's when our lives start to change. And that through that, we stop dehumanizing others and dehumanizing ourselves and live into the fullness that you have for us. And we give this to you in your name. We pray, everyone said. Before you guys get out of here, um, if you want prayer for anything, we'll have some people up here um, just ready to pray for whatever you're going through. Uh, we would love for you to be part of the team uh, here. This is your home church, and we'd love for you to serve in an area. So we have Team Palooza that's coming up on January 28th. You can sign up for that at the welcome desk on your way out. If you're new, we'd love to meet you. And, uh, and also, um, thank you guys so much for your continued generos- generosity and making a big difference. Um, coming up soon, uh, we'll have a little talk around that um, in this series and, and let you guys know what's happening throughout our community and, and everything. But just thank you for being committed to making a difference in this city. Love you guys so much. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you next week.